As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. We, we are the team that the NBA put the most games on. We're, we're the team that gets someone taken out during COVID, during the games. We're the team that has to deal with the refs. We're, we're the team that is literally battling against so many odds that at this point it is it's not even a reason to continue to comment on they are what they are good morning and welcome to the daily ding happy wednesday morning folks we're gonna catch you up on all the nba action from tuesday night on the athletic podcast network I'm Mo DeKeel and with me is Eric Name and we got Andrew Schleck keeping us on track, making sure I don't drive this train off the tracks. Before we get started though, folks, don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of the unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now and save. Go to theathletic.com slash daily ding. You can receive an all-access subscription for just $3.99 a month. Eric, I don't know about you, but I spend more on, more on my morning coffee than that. Coming up on today's show, Eric Corrin stops by to talk about a young Raptor. Jazz keep playing a winning tune. But first, Sixers 119, Kings 111 in Sacramento. Kings were rolling, Eric, coming into this game. They had big wins last week over Denver, over the Clippers, um, the Celtics. They, they were in great shape. But the Sixers have been the best team in the East. This really kind of was a crazy game. The Sixers were down 93-97 in the fourth quarter. Then went on a 12-2 run. The defense really tightened up. Harris, Tobias Harris and Shake Milton hit some threes. You know, the the Kings were hot from deep to start the game. They cooled off. But uh, Matisse Tybel's defense stepped up. And I got to say, Joel Embiid put in like a really strong MVP performance in the fourth quarter, really kind of settling things down. Eric, what'd you see? Man, I, I just think of that little kind of fadeaway pull-up jumper that Embiid hits late that I think hit every part of the rim before falling in. Uh, <laughs> yes. But that also just like feels how it's going for him this year. Like It just feels like he's kind of figured some things out and – you know, it's it's uh, you know the fit that they have going on there with all the pieces kind of making a little bit more sense. It's you know Doc Rivers and getting everything ready to go. And I don't know, it just feels like this is really him putting it together. 
and it all making sense for Joel Embiid at this point. And, you know, I think this is what everyone has always wanted. Uh, maybe this is the Sixers team that everyone has been claiming they've been seeing for the last three or four years. Um, this, this is the fully realized, actualized version of that because they've just kind of been incredible. And I mean, you, you just watch it and everything on the roster kind of makes sense. Like you get the, you get the hot shooting from Seth Curry, but then you don't close with him. You close with Tybal because you know, you need that defense. And, and he puts the clamps on De'Aaron Fox. Like, I mean, no one we've seen do recently. Like it, it feels like De'Aaron Fox kind of figured everything out and, and Tybal comes in and locks him down. It takes 30 shots from Fox to get to 34 points tonight. Like I, I just thought it, Everything in Philly makes sense right now. That's my takeaway. And and that isn't something we've been able to say for, for the last couple of years. Yeah, that's the thing. Like when I look at the roster overall in the zoomed out picture, I'm like, okay, this is a finally a roster that makes sense. But it's interesting, you know, everything you said, like, you know, Doc has the options. He can go offense, defense, and that's what he was doing it down the stretch of this game. You know, subbing in Curry when they had a chance to when they knew they were going to get an offensive possession down the stretch, subbing in Tybal when when he knew that they were going to have a defensive possession, you know, and he had a chance to do that. It was really impressive. And look, the Sixers had no answer for Fox for three quarters. Like, they, they really didn't. And then, you know, Tybal comes in, and just in the fourth quarter alone, De'Aaron Fox went 3 for 13, 0 for 3 from 3. The Kings as a whole shot 2 for 10 in the fourth quarter from three. I mean, it was just that it's everything you said, just locked them down. So I want to ask you real quickly before we slide to the, the Kings, how for real are the Sixers? Cause you, you cover the Eastern conference. You cover the bucks for us at the athletic. You see this, how, how for real do the Sixers feel to you? I know it's a little bit early. We're 20 something games in, but what does it feel like to you? I mean, when you look at them, they kind of seem postseason ready. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's no playing around with, you know, 10th man, 11th man. You know, maybe we'll go 12 deep. So, nope. Like, we, we know our our eight or nine guys, they're going to play a bunch of minutes, and we're just going to get really good with those guys. Like, this is this is classic Doc Rivers, right? Like, that's how it's going to be during the regular season. That's how it's going to be in the postseason. This is going to be our rotation. This is how we're going to go. And they, as you said, have the options. I think – there's still the question to me, and and I know Seth Partnow covered this a little bit at the Athletic last week in his analytic look around. But like, do they have quite enough shooting? I'm not totally sure. Uh, you know, I, I think maybe they do, but there is. You know, you go through the shooters, or you go through the three point shooting tonight. They're nine of twenty, but you know, Danny Green's zero for three, Embiid's zero for two, Simmons is zero for zero. Tybal's 0 for 0. Like, there's just some guys in that roster that aren't going to shoot. That's the thing that maybe concerns me, but I, I think it makes a lot more sense than it has in years past. And and just for that reason, I think you, you their record has them at the top of the Eastern Conference, and I think you kind of have to put them there uh, for, for right now. Maybe things can change. The, the Bucks are trying to figure some things out. The Nets are trying to figure some things out. But uh, for now, it, it's the Sixers and, and everybody else. Right. And Let's go to the Kings, though, now, because for three quarters, De'Aaron Fox was spectacular. <laughs> I was watching this and going like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. He had 23 points in the first half. He finished with 34, obviously had a really rough fourth quarter. You know, 
Tyrese Halliburton's been making plays. A lot of noise for him for rookie of the year. Buddy Heald was hitting shots in this one. You had Rashawn Holmes and Marvin Bagley really kind of going at Embiid to start the, you know, the game. And it was, it was really kind of willing to attack. They were stretching the floor, knocking down shots. Holmes, this was kind of a revenge game for him uh, to a degree. I don't know how many teams removed he is from, <laughs> from his time in Philly, but still felt like a little bit of a revengey game. Man, what what are your thoughts of the Kings? Like, they're fun, but what does that mean? I mean, we just saw them have a big week, you know, and, and, and even taking this game down to the wire still feels to me like almost like a moral victory. But what are your thoughts when you think about the Kings? I think the tough part is that there's a bunch of guys you like on this roster. Or maybe you don't, but I do. Like, I, Oh, I, I love them. <laughs> right? Like, you, you, like I, I think every NBA, like every nerd NBA Twitter, whatever you want to call us, like all of us love Rashawn Holmes. All of us. Like, he just plays hard, good rim runner, has that little flip shot that goes in. Like, everybody loves it. And then, you know, like, there's now this, like, nerd support for, hey, Harrison Barnes is overpaid, but he's a good basketball player. And then everyone has always kind of hoped De'Aaron Fox would figure it out. That's great. Buddy Heald chucks up threes like really no one else in the – maybe Steph. Like, that's that's about it. Like, if you're talking about full-on chuckers, those two dudes get up more threes than anybody else. He goes six for 16 tonight. He almost had more threes than the Sixers. <laughs> attempts he had 16 attempts the Sixers had 20 as a team <laughs> like he just gets him up so like and then Halliburton as you mentioned funky shot dropped in the draft and everybody loves him like those guys all make sense and are fun and then you just look at the rest of the roster and it's it's sadness you're just like oh yeah no don't like that guy no not him either no no okay well that doesn't work and I think that's just kind of what it ends up being. Like, I think if you're a Kings fan, you, you're you excited about Jaren Fox figuring it out. You're excited about, I mean, a, a positive sign of life from Marvin Bagley. Like, to, to go up against NB like he did, I thought that was super impressive tonight. And you've really been looking, you've been desperate for, for positive signs from him. And, you know, I just think there's a lot to be excited about. Obviously, there's that that portion of sadness on the roster, which is, is sad and, and not working. But, like, the fun stuff is currently fun. And I think if, if you're a Kings team that's been trying to find that for, for years now, uh, I think you have to be at least a little bit excited about it. Just a portion of sadness on the roster makes me laugh. I'm that, just saying. That, like, that, no, no, it's, 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 you're right. You nailed it. It's just that, that that visual in my head. I just feel like they should be sitting in the corner with Dunn's caps on or something. Like I just feel. It just. It, I was just like, oh yeah, that one hurt a little bit. Uh, <laughs> man, so wrap this one up. Embiid finished with 25 points and 17 rebounds. Uh, Seth Curry had 22 points, four or six shooting from three. Tobias Harris was really big, especially down the stretch with a couple of threes, 22 points, 10 rebounds. Ben Simmons with a nice 14.9 assists, seven rebound type game. Forkon Kuzma, uh, Korkmaz, who we didn't really get a chance to talk too much about, 13 points off the bench, had a nice little dunk in the second quarter, had a good run in the second quarter. For the Kings, De'Aaron Fox, 34 points, 13 to 30 shooting from the field, 10 assists. Buddy Heald with 21 points. You touched on it again. 6 to 16 shooting from three, eight rebounds from him. 
17 points from Marvin Bagley, 15 from Tyrese Halliburton off the bench, and that's going to do it for this one. Celtics 108, Jazz 122 in Utah. Eric, the Jazz are literally on fire. They are that meme of, as a team, walking on fire. That's that's what they are. They're that dude that's walking around literally on fire. Winners of 16 of their last 17 games. We'll get into all the fun stuff from this game. Celtics still a little bit depleted on the roster. No Marcus Smart at the end of a five-game West Coast road trip. Coming off a loss in Phoenix. But Jalen Brown makes his return. Doesn't look like he misses a beat. Eric, they had no answer. The Celtics had no answer for Rudy Gobert in the paint. Every time they drove, it just felt like they were running up against a wall. There's a great clip of Jalen Brown going back door. He gets the ball in the paint. He sees it's Gobert. He pump fakes like four times and says, nope, and just dribbles on out. Uh, that was kind of their night for them. And and really, at the other end for the Jazz, it was all about Donovan Mitchell. Scoring, setting up teammates. He scored or assisted on the Jazz's last 17 points. Just super impressive overall. What did you see in this game that caught your eye? Man, the Celtics team, obviously, they're they're kind of floundering a little bit right now. I think sitting at like 12 and 10 on the season. Uh, you mentioned the injuries. You mentioned trying to get through all of this. And I, like I'm trying to figure out their roster and kind of how they close games what their best lineups are. And and obviously the Celtics are kind of going through this on, on their own uh, at the moment, but I'm trying to think through it as well, just because, you know, you look at this team and you mentioned that, that really like vivid play that kind of showed the problem, right? Jalen Brown backdoor, all of a sudden Rudy Gobert's there. And, you know, as you're thinking about, okay, well, how do you solve that problem? Right? Like, okay, well, well, Tice is five of six from three. That's, that's good. But then you look around the rest of the roster and it's like, okay, I guess Robert Williams gives you like some vertical spacing. You can throw a lob up to him in the playoffs. Like is, is our our teams really going to respect Chevy Ojale? Are they really going to respect Grant Williams from three? Like maybe they should, but as we've talked about before, uh, like, this is there's a different level between regular season respect and postseason respect, and, and that's the thing I keep coming to. Where Tatum has been incredible, Jalen Brown's taken another step, and then I just look around the rest of the roster, and like we know Marcus Smart will throw up 15 threes in a game, but that doesn't mean a whole bunch of them are going to go in. And, I mean, they're good ones, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Uh, so like I, that's the thing I'm struggling with with the Celtics right now is just like. How do they close? How do they consistently put together lineups that aren't going to allow teams to sink into the paint against them? Because teams are content to do it right now. The Celtics don't really get to the free throw line. Uh, And if you're not getting to the free throw line, you're not able to get all the way to the rim, and you're not really scared of these guys from three, I mean, that's that's a pretty tough way to, to try to make a living in the postseason. Yeah, and it's tough. You know, Tice fouls out in this game with, I think, about six minutes left, and it just felt like that was the problem. Every time they face a big guy, they tend to just run into problems, and Tice is still foul-prone. He's still, you know, whether you want to say he's not getting respect from the referees or whatnot, he's still fouling. And 
you know, and, and that doesn't bode well for them considering what they're going to run into in the East at some point. Some point they're going to go through Milwaukee. Some point they're going to have to go through Philadelphia. And those are teams with bigs that are that are going to cause problems for them in that in that area. And all those issues can pop up. But here's the one thing, and this is the thing that really matters. You know, they got to get Kemba Walker going. He's been struggling miserably um, since coming back from the knee injury. You know, it's it's been a brutal run here. Tonight's game, he went two for 12 for just seven points. You know, he had seven assists. It's nice to see he's affecting the game in other ways. But he's another guy that they need to get scoring and get going, and it's a problem with him. And I just I don't know how long we can hold on. I think we're going to – I'm projecting here, and I'm expecting maybe just a, a big second half from Kemba Walker because I just don't believe it's all the way gone for him. But this was kind of a – it's been a scary few weeks for for me watching Kemba Walker. Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're going to be concerned about the injury history, obviously, um, and just kind of, uh, you know, how is he going to get through it and is he going to be the same guy and, and all of that. And then uh, I think, you know, I'm obviously covering the Bucks right now. I'm watching the Bucks kind of work through having a, a true third creator in the switch up from Eric Bledsoe to Drew Holiday. And the Bucks are super efficient offensively, but – you know, like there's games where one of their guys just doesn't get as many shots. And more often than not, for the Celtics, Kemba Walker's the third guy. It's not sometimes Kemba Walker gets to have his night. It's it's more often than not, he's the one that's that's kind of on the outside looking in with Brown and Tatum. And, you know, maybe there are nights where he'll get back into it. But I just think figuring out that, that three-headed monster can be tough sometimes. And... If you're the Celtics, obviously you're thinking about prioritizing your two younger guys. Uh, you want to see them continue to grow, continue to develop, and that pushes Kemba Walker out a little bit. And I just think it's it, it's awkward right now, like how they're putting things together and how they're trying to get him going. And and I think you're right that like you know if they don't figure that out, I don't really know what they what they can end up doing and what their ceiling looks like this season. Oh, their ceiling significantly lower. It's not. There's no question about that. If he's if he doesn't get going at all this season, you know this this is a team that has high potential falling out after the first round of the playoffs. Right. Uh, but let's go to the other side. Let's go to the happier side. <laughs> the side that won is a little more happy right now. Uh, you know the the thing that's really impressive about the Jazz is they did this without Mike Connolly again. Uh, he he was out and it didn't matter. It was the Donovan Mitchell show going completely ballistic, 36 points, nine assists. And it just felt like, obviously with no smart, but I don't even know if Marcus Smart could have just contained him tonight. He was just everywhere offensively, and every time they needed a big play, he came up with it. Yeah, he was spectacular. Like, I just think of the the one three. He was six of 13 from the three-point line, but I think of the one fourth quarter three where he comes down off of a baseline pin down, gets a one dribble pull up, and it's on the move, it's covered, it's tough, and he just drains it. And they needed the bucket at that time. Uh, the Celtics had gotten a little bit closer and, and made it a little bit nervy. And Donovan Mitchell was just like, eh, I got it. It's all good. Like, don't don't worry. Like, I, I got this. And, I, I mean, just for him to have 36, 9, and 4 on the efficiency that it did, he only takes 23 shots. I mean, it was just – a super impressive performance from him. And, you know, it's, we've seen, you know, some peaks before from, from Donovan Mitchell. And I think you wonder what's real, what's not, but 
I mean, you're not going to argue with a 20 and five start. Like, no, he, he's they've been great. He's been great, and and they're just rolling right now. Yeah, the 20 and five start ties a franchise best start record. I could have said that better, but you know, sorry folks, that's what happens. Uh, this is their best start since the 96, 97 teams that went to the finals. So I got to ask you, Eric, how real is this jazz team? So the thing I love about the jazz is Quinn Snyder. And maybe you'll disagree with me. You're you, you have that kind of coaching mind, uh, that X and O's mind. Quinn Snyder prepares for every single game. The, that game plan is going to be specific all 82, or I guess 72 this year. Like it is going to be specific. They're going to know how to take advantage of that team. And to me, it feels like out of all the coaches in the league, there might not be a single coach that gets more out of their guys each night than Quinn Snyder. And, and he squeezes every point out of that game plan that they're going to play the absolute best possible way that night. And that's great for the regular season, right? Like that that's really going to help you win some games. That's going to make you really tough. But it it makes me wonder if you you're to that point in the post or in the regular season. If you're there in the regular season, do you have anything left to to ring out in the postseason, is the is there that extra kind of peak? And and again, maybe this is unfair, um, but that's the question I always come back to with this Jazz team. Is I love the way Quinn Snyder preps for a game. I love the way that he gets his team ready to go every single night. I just wonder if you you've used all that potential already. It, you you you're playing at your highest possible level each night in the regular season. Most teams can find some more in the postseason. They can play their guys more. They can game plan a little bit better. They can go outside of their normal system. They can treat every single game special. The Jazz already do that. And, and that to me always feels like a problem. Like if, you, if you're ready at your best in the regular season, I don't know if you have something more in the postseason. Am I crazy there? What do you think? A little bit. You're a little bit crazy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but it, 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 in the sense of... I, I, I hear what you're saying, like they're peaking too soon kind of deal. And that's something I, I, I think about with some teams, you know, kind of hitting that peak and then eventually there's a drop off and you sort of want to hit that peak right as you're going into the playoffs. But for me, what I'm seeing with this Jazz team is, you know, there's just another level of confidence with them that I don't think I felt. I, I know I haven't felt with this team in a few years, you know, and, and some of it was just losing that game seven in the bubble, which, you know, I bring it up a little bit probably more often than I should, but they were Mike Connolly in and out three from beating the Nuggets, right? And 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 moving on to facing the Clippers and, and who knows what NBA history goes from there. So I think there's an instance of I think this is a team that just feels very confident and, and understands now and has that collective like, all right, we all know our roles. We're all moving in the same place. And that's something I don't think they've had in the years past. So I'm not totally there yet where I think they, they won't be able to go to another level. I think, you know, again, no Mike Connolly tonight. I think there's going to be times where it's going to be Connolly going off and things like that. I think they I think they have another gear to hit, Eric. I'm not sure if we've seen even the the best of their, their playing abilities, basically. I mean that's exciting. The you know as someone that covers the Bucks, the Bucks have the Jazz on on Friday. 
Uh, I'm looking forward to covering that game. I'm looking forward to to Quinn Snyder, a former assistant on Bud's bench, uh, going up against Bud. Like every time those two teams go at it, they have a great time. So uh, they always put on a show. I'm excited for it. I, I mean, I think that might be the biggest thing for me this year with the Jazz is I like watching them this year. I don't know that I've said that other years. Like uh, we've had, we got a lot of fun teams in the NBA. We it's fun to watch the Kings. It's, it's right. fun to watch the Knicks. Like this is listen, the NBA is great. If I don't know what the ratings are, but the NBA is balling right now. We're having a good time with games. So uh, that's my pitch for for uh, the NBA there for the Celtics. Like I said, Jalen Brown finished with 33 points and eight rebounds. Tatum finished with 23 points, but shot seven of 20 from the field. Donovan Mitchell, 36 points, nine assists, four rebounds. Joe Ingles, who started in the place of Mike Conley, added 24 points. Jordan Clarkson, 13 points off the bench for the Jazz. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And with us now is one of the best writers for The Athletic. He covers the Toronto Raptors. Eric Kareen wrote a great, great story on Utah Wantanubi. Eric, I wanted to talk about this because this is just a great story of a uh, kid that not many people know about but kind of just all the things he had to go through but I want to start with how you started the story and what does he bring to the Toronto Raptors yeah so I started the story with a play from a few weeks ago at the end of the third quarter between the Raptors and the Pacers in a game the Raptors ultimately lost and then complained about the officiating a lot, which has become a a running theme to this Raptors season and and maybe all Raptors seasons. But anyway, I I worked for the I worked for the Clippers. I believe me, I was there during this (laughs) player. I know all about complaining to the referees. Uh, I digress. So uh, it's the end of the third quarter and the Raptors have the ball and Kyle Lowry sort of is getting the inbound pass and he's letting it roll down the court without touching it because there are only 3.8 seconds left, so not much time. And Lowry finally picks it up just his side of half court and he sprints down and uh, he's poised uh, in the paint to take uh, to let go of this floater type shot, a contested floater. Uh, and... Because of that, you know, everybody, because of the lack of time left, everybody converges on Kyle Lowry. And while you might figure that this is going to be the last shot of the quarter, there's not much I can do as his teammate once he lets go of the ball, uh, that's not what Utawatanabe does. He, you know, he is in the corner at first, and as his man leaves to come contest Lowry's shot, Watanabe crashes hard to, hard to the boards, and uh, Sumner from Indiana, Edmund Sumner, 
uh, sort of nudges him out of the way, uh, and it's called a loose ball foul. And Watanabe gets up, and he's excited. It's like he just dunked over somebody, uh, basically. Like he, <laughs> he pumps both of his fists, and they take it to the review. And it turns out when the foul occurred, there was a tenth of a second remaining. And I thought that was just sort of both indicative of what Watanabe has done for the Raptors this year, which is sort of provide all the you know quote unquote we know they're not actually little things but the people the things that people call little things he does them and also brings just a tremendous amount of energy and relentlessness to the team uh and it also spoke to his journey as something of an unlikely one and how he sort of never took any potential opportunity for granted and you know those 3.8 seconds to him uh even though for a lot of his teammates they might have said, well, there's nothing left to do. He said, maybe. And it turned out to get, get the Raptors two free throws. Yeah, I mean, there's examples of that type of stuff with his game all over the place. The Brooklyn game, he he misses a three and, and goes for an offensive rebound as one of the Brooklyn guys is getting the ball and ends up forcing a travel, and that's another possession. All key things there that coaches love I, I know I when I was coaching that would just make me incredibly happy and that would make the edit as a winning play the you touched on something though and it was his journey really and and and, and where he came from I mean he's like he's the third there's three NBA players of Japanese so he's, he's the second of three okay. uh Rui Hachimura was the third and uh Yuta Tabuse uh was the first and he played 17 minutes over four games for the phoenix suns uh so uh when when uh watanabe made his debut with the grizzlies in 2018 he became the second player and the first in uh i guess 14 years from japan to to play for uh, to play for an nba team but he's a kid who you know Given that history, a lot of his countrymen, uh, and certainly even the guy who uh, I talked to, the journalist who gave him the nickname "the Chosen One" as sort of a you know a wink to the LeBron Sports Illustrated article, uh, but he didn't actually know, he didn't actually think that Watanabe was going to be able to make it, especially when he went uh, to the United States to ultimately go to a prep school in Connecticut, where he was a teammate with Eric Pascal. Uh, Watanabe was a super shy, super reserved kid, and uh, he didn't think that that personality would be able to sort of get over in America where, you know, AAU culture, I don't right. want to generalize, but there's a, when there's a star, you generally know there's a star. And this wasn't Watanabe who comes from both of his parents played professionally and he's been sort of trained on the quote unquote right way to play the game, the sort of uh, selflessness. Uh, anyway, he goes to Connecticut and he can't speak a word of English, more or less. Uh, he knows a few words and a few fr- uh, grammatical rules and that's about it. And the amazing thing about it is his coaches and his teammates realize right away that even though he doesn't understand it, uh, understand the words are saying his basketball IQ is through the roof that he basically picks up the plays faster than, you know, people that are speaking the language that the coaches are speaking in. Right. It's almost like the, he, he speaks the language of basketball and that was yeah. the, the, the most important thing. And from there he goes to GW, you know, continues to rise as a, a young player goes undrafted, but 
makes his way through the G League and the opportunity with the Memphis Hustle. I want to ask you this, though. Does he feel like there's a lot of pressure on him kind of carrying the nation, him and Ruri Hachimura, you know, being the two active players in the NBA? You know, what's what's that weight on? Is there a weight on him about that? And, and what does it feel like? Um, well, there was a really interesting quote from Jason March, uh, who's the head coach of the Hustle now. And uh, I don't have it in front of me, but it's basically when you know what you love and you know exactly what type of person you want to be and what you want to do with your life, everything else sort of just falls into place. And that's how he saw Utah uh, as somebody who knows exactly what he wants to do. He's been saying since he was 16 or 17 that he was going to be the next Japanese player in the NBA. Uh, And even when he showed up to Connecticut looking like a stick figure, he was insisting that that was his goal and he really thought it was possible. So he's been so hardwired to accomplish this that the noise in Japan, not that it doesn't affect him. He's, he told me that, you know, he feels the pressure a bit, but, you know, it's not, again, to use the, the name that was given to him something somewhat uh, jokingly, he doesn't feel like the chosen one. He doesn't feel like uh, he has to make things, uh, he has to make the, he has to pave that road for everybody to follow him i i think it probably helps that hachimura come in, came in right after him and not only uh, did he come in but he came in as a lottery pick with a lot more hype a lot more curiosity uh so right away he wasn't in the position of being the standard bearer but what he did was sort of the path that hachimura followed and hachimura has just been you know a, a bigger prospect for any number of reasons but i i don't think the pressure weighs on him all that much. All right. And and just last question and we'll we'll go from here. What do the Raptors see in him? You touch a, just a tiny bit on his future in terms of he's on a two-way contract right now, you know, what do the Raptors kind of view him as and and going forward kind of what's your feel for it? Yeah, well, he's such a perfect player for their system defensively because, I mean, he's super active and he's super long. And the Raptors, with how much zone they play, length and uh, agility, especially like side-to-side agility, uh, incredibly important to the team. Uh, he's obviously this a low-usage player. He's, he's not scoring in double digits many nights, and he's, you know, always the fourth or fifth option out there. Uh, somebody who's taking some corner threes or finishing on the fast break and doing little else. But I, I think the Raptors have to be impressed with what he's done so far. He was brought in on a training camp deal that got, got converted to a two-way. Uh, so at some point, and they do have an open roster spot right now, uh, they will have to, if they want him to keep playing for him this year, they would have to convert him to the main contract or the main roster, I should say. Uh, to allow him to play in more than 50 games, which the G League, uh, which the two-way contracts only allow you to play in. Uh, And depending on the length of the deal, he can be a restricted free agent after this season, an unrestricted free agent uh, after next season if they give him a two-year deal. So I think they like him. I I mean, to a a certain extent, these guys, if you want to be cynical about it, are a dime a dozen, but like, 6'8", 6'9", super long, super smart, great, you know, a really responsible uh, player when it comes to closing out and just knowing where to be defensively. And, you know, if his three-pointers, even on a low low frequency, can stay at, you know, 
mid thirties to low forties, like that, that's an NBA player. And I, I think that's what they see in them right now. Yeah. Thank you so much, Eric, for your time. Uh, go check out his article. It's awesome. I really cannot recommend it enough. A lot of great stories in there. We didn't cover everything. Great story about his trip to Japan with his college team and, you know, just kind of the, the star power he has there. Eric, thanks so much for joining us. Great talking to you, Mo. Take care. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now for the other games from Thursday night. Pelicans 130, Rockets 101 in New Orleans. Ingram with 22 points. Zion with 20 points. Yo, Josh Hart had 20 points and 17 rebounds from a guard. I believe that was the 12th guard to have done that in NBA history, according to a tweet I saw from the New Orleans Pelicans. Rockets were without Christian Wood and Oladipo. Got 23 points from Eric Gordon and 25 from John Wall, but... They just don't have enough firepower. Knicks 96, Heat 98 in Miami. Derrick Rose makes his Knicks debut, had 14 points in his first game back as a Nick. But this game was wild down the stretch. Down one, Julius Randle tries to bully Bam Adebayo and finds out that probably wasn't the best idea. Especially Uh, when the Heat have a foul to give. Like, so the the thing I've always loved about Eric Spolstra, his team's going to be super physical, great on defense. And if they have a foul to give and you need a bucket late, they're just going to play the most physical defense you've ever seen <laughs> in dare officials to call the foul. And Julius Randle goes at the strongest guy on the floor. He goes at Bam Adebayo, and obviously he doesn't move Bam, and then tries a, a, a ridiculous step back, which he's hit a bunch of this year. But, yeah, no, that's not the best trade. Yeah, that wasn't what he was going for when he won at BAM. Uh, There was a scramble for the rebound. Jimmy Butler got smacked really hard in the head during that scramble. Ends up going to the line. Makes one a two. So now it's a two-point game. And R.J. Barrett misses a layup to tie it. I thought that was like, you couldn't have gotten a better look than that. I mean, he got a step and he got to his left hand. You can't ask for anything more in that situation. Yeah, so shocking that he missed it. Uh, the Heat got 26 points from Butler. 
Got 20 from Kelly Olenek and 19 from Bam Adebayo. Nets 111, Pistons 122 in Detroit. And no Kevin Durant, and they missed him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, what? I don't even understand this Nets team at this point. Like, uh, how do they keep losing to bad teams? That's, well, because that's you don't defend. You don't defend. Sure. It's that simple. They, they just don't defend, you know. Jeremy Grant and uh, – oh, I'm going to have to do that part again. Jeremy Grant and DeLon Wright were hooping. Grant finished with 32 points, Wright with 22. Kyrie Irving finished with 27. James Harden with a double-double, 24 points, 12 assists a night. This is the Brooklyn's third loss in a row, and the loss prompted Irving to say in postgame, we look very average. I, it's tough to disagree with. Like, I, I think you're looking at the importance of Kevin Durant. Like, he, I, I think he steadies everything, maybe gives them a little bit more toughness defensively, maybe helps them just the slightest bit. They're still not playing defense when he's playing, but at least like a little bit more. And yeah, like they just, I don't, I don't know. Like just when you watch them, I, I don't think at this point, they're a team that a lot of people are going to fear. Yeah, they just, I mean, they just don't have the defense. I'm going to be very interested to see how this whole thing goes. Everybody keeps talking about the buyout market, but I'm very skeptical. Warriors 114, Spurs 90 in San Antonio. This is the 12th 30 point and more game from Steph Curry, who had 32 points. Draymond Green had his fourth straight game of double-digit assists with 11. Kelly Oubre with a double-double, 14 points, 12 rebounds. His first double-double of the year, Eric. Um, I, I don't think I'm alone in appreciating Steph Curry and Draymond Green, but I just hope people are. Like I don't know if you saw the one play tonight where Steph reverses himself back to the basket and throws in uh, a, just a ridiculous right hand layup off the glass. It wasn't even a three, and he did something cool that I was like, "Yeah, all right, great. I'm happy Steph is back." So I don't know about the rest of the team. I don't know about their future, but Steph is doing stuff. Draymond is finding him for a million assists every night. I, again, basketball is fun. I'm enjoying it. I I tune in to just watch Steph go ballistic like he did <laughs> so in the nice. Dallas game a few a few weeks ago. When he goes nuclear, it's like, all right. This is fun. <laughs> Magic 97, Blazers 106 in Portland. Damian Lillard with 36 points. 5 of 10 from 3. Gary Trent Jr. assisting with 15 points, 6 assists. Carmelo Anthony. Eric, can I interest you in a little Carmelo Anthony night? 23 points. Little little nice little Carmelo Anthony night. Interested? Yeah, no, I'm I'm down for some bucket getting. That that that's cool with me. I I am looking at the magic in attempting to figure out what's. And you know what? I'm not even gonna try to figure it out. No, I don't, the, I don't know, the, the, I don't know if they, like I don't know if they're trying to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Nikolai Vucevic with 27 points to lead the Magic. Just a tough deal for them. That's going to do it for today's show. Don't forget about the other basketball shows on the Athletic Podcast Network. We still have your favorite shows like the Athletic NBA Show, No Dunks, and House of Strauss, plus over a dozen team-specific shows available from some of your favorite athletic beat writers. Don't forget to follow on the app to get notifications for new episodes and utilize the podcast episode comment section. Leave notes in there. We're definitely paying attention. And if you're not a member of The Athletic, you're in luck. 
you can get all our podcasts ad-free plus from fantastic writing across all major sports including our man eric's and eric kareen stuff for a super low price get a subscription today at theathletic.com slash daily dink you never know when these promos are going to end folks so get in on it right now thanks for waking up with us and eric take us home ding ding